You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. If you are able to remain standing, would you remain standing and turn within your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. It is the privilege of my life to open God's word before his people. If, if you're new with us, we're reading the whole chapter. So if you need to sit down at any time to rest, feel free. Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, verse 4, my brothers... Where do you come from? They said, we're from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, that is Jacob, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking, verse 9, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that, he's, that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to be to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, 
he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you, serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, well, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. As we have read, we are continuing in our study of the book of Genesis this morning, and we come to chapter 29 in this great and glorious narrative of Scripture. Moses, our author, the author of this text, continues to trace out and to map out for us the patriarchal history of Israel. That is, Moses is tracing the development of one family, one family which will become one nation that will become a blessing to all the nations. First, Moses chronicles the life and legacy of Abraham. And then he chronicles the life and legacy of Isaac. And now in our text, in our text last week, Moses is chronicling the life and legacy of his younger son, Jacob. Jacob, like the other patriarchs, as one commentator said, is a piece of work and a work in progress. It could be said of all of us, I think. We're pieces of work and works in progress, thanks be to God. As we've seen, Jacob's ambition oftentimes outpaces his good judgment. His ambition outpaces his good judgment. Oftentimes, Jacob doesn't trust the divine sovereignty of God to accomplish God's will. And so Jacob will try to get ahead of God and manipulate circumstances to produce outcomes. With the help of his mother back in chapter 27, he swindles his older brother Esau out of his birthright and paternal blessing, both of which were already Jacob's, both the blessing and the birthright. 
But Jacob panicked and he used deception rather than relying on the promises of God and he deceives and he manipulates. Like us, Jacob has a tendency to look to the things that are seen. To look to the things that are seen merely and begin to panic because the things that are seen don't appear to be what we think they ought to be. And so like us, Jacob panics. Even after a divine visitation from the Lord in the last chapter, Jacob turns a pillow into a pillar. Even after this divine revelation, this dream from God, Jacob still hedges his bets with God. You remember that if-then clause. If, if God will be with me and if God will be my provider, then, then the Lord will be my God. You can still hear the adolescence in Jacob's faith. It's not developed yet. He still isn't convinced fully that he could be totally abandoned to the will of God. He isn't yet convinced that God has his best in mind. Before we move into this sermon, I just want to plant a question in me and in you. What about you this morning? Are you fully convinced of God's perfect sovereignty? Are you, or are you still hedging your bets? You have sort of an if-then theology. If God will show up in this thing, then I'm, then I'm all in. Then, I'm, then I'll lean on God. I I pray that for all of us, our if-then theologies would turn into because-therefore theologies. Because God has shown himself faithful throughout all of human history and in my life, because God is who he says he is, therefore, I will rest the whole weight of my life upon him. I pray that we become a little bit more closer to a because-therefore theology, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Well, the story continues uh, with our text this morning as Jacob now arrives in the land of Haran, in the region of Padan Aram. And he's there at the request, you'll remember, of his father and mother to find a wife. He is a man on a mission. He is there to find a wife. And in this whole scene or this whole chapter, unfolds really nicely into three separate vignettes or three scenes. And so we're going to move through these scenes sequentially this morning. The first scene in chapter 29 captures the arrival of Jacob in Haran. Jacob approaches a well in a field where he he sees three flocks of sheep lying around this well. The well itself is covered, Moses says, by a really large, heavy stone. It's all shut up and this heavy, large stone is on top of the well, likely to keep other animals and and intruders out of the well. And as Jacob approaches these shepherds just outside of Haran, Haran, he begins with some friendly conversation. He begins by saying, look at verse 4. Jacob says to these shepherds, My brothers, where do you come from? He said, we are from Haran. 
He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, this is welcomed news for Jacob after a long and treacherous journey. This is welcomed news. God was indeed with Jacob to lead him to the region of Padanaram, to the region of Haran. And he receives good news from the shepherds. Jacob is in the place where he was supposed to be. Laban's daughter, beyond all of that, Laban's daughter, Rachel, is on her way to that very well that Jacob finds himself. And so this is incredibly good news. After an incredibly long journey, Jacob is relieved. But what happens next is another one of those bizarre Jacob moments where Jacob tries to take control of the situation. Look at verse 7. Out of nowhere, he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. Okay, first of all, he's just met these guys. He's just met these shepherds and he's throwing massive shade on them. He doesn't even know them. And he just starts barking orders at them. You there, you guys, you should be up. These sheep, you guys look lazy. These sheep should be feeding and pasturing, getting nice and fat for your families. They shouldn't be lying around the well in midday. Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe you're that person. I've been that person. Maybe I hope I'm still not that person who just, so they just know your situation better than you and they just first meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. You know what you should do? Here's what you should do with your life. That's Jacob. That's his ambition. But they respond to him. Look at verse eight with a remarkable amount of restraint. They said, verse eight, we, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. So I don't, I don't know their tone, but I, I kind of get this tone like this. Here's how we do things around here, youngster. <laughs> we normally wait until all of the flocks are gathered, and then we only have to move this big rock once. Then we water all of the sheep, and then we only have to put it back once. But before they could even finish this conversation, Rachel shows up and Jacob snaps into high gear. Look at verse nine. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Verse 10. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. (laughs) My goodness. I mean, this is a, like a classic mixture or cocktail of testosterone and passion. Right, he's just, he's overcome. He's overcome. I don't think this is a romantic kiss. I think this is just someone who's just exhausted. Well, not 
terribly exhausted. He moves this entire stone all by himself. The moving of this stone is a community project. That's why these guys are waiting for all of the flocks to be there. And yet Jacob snaps into gear, pounds his chest, goes and moves the rock and then kisses the girl and then cries. I mean, talk about an emotional roller coaster. Not only for everybody there, but especially Rachel. (laughs) Imagine being Rachel. She doesn't even know who this is until after the kiss and after the weeping. That's when he, he makes himself known to her. Imagine just the awkward tension in that space after Jacob does his Jacob thing. But then this kiss is followed by another kiss. There's a lot of kissing in chapter 29. Look at verse 13. So as soon as Laban, that's Rachel's father, heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Jacob said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So there is the end of scene one. Jacob arrives in Haran successfully. He meets Rachel. He meets Laban. It is a good day. There's kissing. There's stone moving. There's embracing, crying, the whole thing. They are together. And that is scene one. But then things get interesting. In scene two, the deceiver, Jacob, gets deceived. Let's look at verses 15 and following. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Let's stop there for just a moment. It's, I think it's safe to say that Laban is already up to his deception at this point. Because Laban can see that Jacob's got nothing. Jacob came with his shirt on his back. Jacob does not come like his father Isaac or his father before him, Abraham, with flocks and herds and possessions. Jacob just comes with Jacob. And so he says, oh, you look like somebody who who needs a wage. And now Laban had two daughters, verse 16. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you. Got no no possessions, no flocks, no herds. I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Now, Leah is the older of the two sisters. And she is described as having weak eyes. That is most likely a reference to her general appearance and not a reference to any sort of disability Her eyes or her face in the Hebrew literally lacked brightness or attractiveness. 
However, in contrast, Moses writes that her younger sister, Rachel, was beautiful in form and appearance. Her face was bright and attractive. And Jacob, the text says, loved Rachel. And so Jacob will sort of act now, ask questions later. Jacob offers Laban a bride price, a dowry for Rachel, which was common in the ancient East, a bride price. But again, he's got nothing. He's got no cash. He's got no gold. He's got no possessions. And so Jacob offers a generous seven years of service in exchange for Rachel. And because the reward of marrying Rachel was so valuable in the heart of Jacob, the labor of seven years seemed like an easy price to pay. But it does not end the way that Jacob had expected. Look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban, verse 22, gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. In the evening, he took his daughter Leah and he brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, verse 25, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this as you have done to me? Did not I serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? As another writes in this text, Jacob has been out Jacobed by his senior. Jacob has been out Jacobed. The poetic justice seems fitting. Jacob, the deceiver, is deceived. Remember, Jacob deceived his father Isaac to get the blessing of the firstborn. And now Laban deceives Jacob to give the blessing of marriage to Laban's firstborn, Leah. If only Esau could see the face of Jacob, right? If only Esau could see Jacob's face as he awoke to Leah and not Rachel. Maybe Jacob, to some degree now, could feel what it was like to be deceived and deprived of something that you've longed for. Jacob now shares in Esau's humiliation. He was tricked. He was deceived. And he has reaped what he has sown. Laban goes on in the text to give a lame excuse as to why he deceived Jacob. Oh, around here, we, we don't just give the secondborns away like that. We, we, the older has to be married first. Which may have been true, but he didn't share that with Jacob at the front end of this bride price, which was seven years of service. And so, as a result, he swindles Jacob out of another seven years of service in order to marry Rachel as well. And now, as a result of Jacob's ambition and lack of wisdom, now Jacob, along with his brother Esau, is a polygamist. He has two wives, and this is outside of God's good and right design. 
And Jacob will feel the consequences of this in years to come. But Laban swindles another seven years out of Jacob for a total of 14 years of service. Jacob has been out Jacob. Now, before we close this second scene, one of the characters, I think, who, at least in my reading, gets overlooked in this dramatic deception is Leah, Laban's older daughter. It's hard to say what Leah's role was in this plot to deceive Jacob. My sense is, is that Leah was deceived also. Which makes this scene really heartbreaking from Leah's point of view. It's not really funny. When I've, I've heard this talked about, it's like, oh, behold, it was Leah and not Rachel. And, and, and that whole, I mean, we can get into the sort of the, the laughable irony of what happens to Jacob when he awakes next to Leah, but it's really not a funny story. It's actually really heartbreaking. Because not only is Leah considered the less attractive older sister who is expected to marry before her younger sister, but now she's shocked to find that Jacob, Jacob was expecting her younger sister and not her. And Jacob's disappointed by what he finds. Not only that, but Leah now realizes that her own father believed that her only hope of marriage would be through deception and trickery. I mean, the layers of of humiliation and shame that Leah must be feeling in this moment is just so heavy. It's just so much. She feels rejected and unloved. She's been humiliated again and outshined by her younger sister. And she's her heart. You can just feel the ache of Leah and the embarrassment. And she seems to be the expendable one in this whole plot. And so the question is, who cares for her? Who sees her? Who hears her? Who loves her? Her. And the answer to that question comes in our third and final scene. The answer to that is God does. God sees Leah. God hears Leah and God loves her. Look at verse 31 in our final scene this morning. Read verse 31 slowly. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb. That word hated, as you can imagine in the Hebrew, is what it sounds like. It's a strong word, but it also means unloved. When he saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. This reminded me of Hagar, remember? Back in chapter 16. Hagar, the Egyptian slave who was used by Sarah as a surrogate for Abraham. And after she was pregnant and got pregnant with Ishmael, Sarah became bitter and jealous. And as a result, they pushed Hagar out of the camp and she's wandering in a wasteland in a desert, rejected, unloved, bewildered at how she was treated. 
And who shows up? Who sees her and hears her and pursues her? The covenant-keeping God of Israel does. And it's the first time where God, Yahweh himself, gives a direct blessing to a woman. Alone in the desert, rejected by man, God pursues her, hears her, sees her, and loves her. And here the same thing is happening to Leah. God sees Leah, he hears her plight, and he moves toward her in love. And like Hagar, Leah is blessed by God, but the blessing that Leah gets is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. Look at verse 32 and following. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. Notice the seeing of God and the hearing of God. Leah is receiving that as God's blessing. And she called his name Simeon. Verse 34, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, this time my husband will be attached to me. In other words, if he's not going to love me, at least he'll be committed to me. I've given him now three sons. Clearly, she hasn't earned the affection of Jacob after the first two, but after three, surely he'll be attached to me at least. Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. But notice, notice that Leah doesn't get it at first. She, she doesn't get the pursuit of God at first. And neither do we oftentimes. She doesn't fully appreciate the purpose of God's blessing. Leah was still looking for horizontal affection for ultimate self-worth. She was still looking for horizontal affection, horizontal meaning for people to have ultimate self-esteem. And so she was hoping that the blessing of God in the birth of her sons would be a means of receiving love and affection from Jacob and it didn't happen. The birth of her sons did not affect the affection of Jacob. And so she goes down the line, well, well, maybe he'll just be attached to me. Surely when he sees my face and his face in the face of our boy, surely that will bring him to me. But in this story, the most beautiful thing is that God was up to way more than human affection. God was up to more than Leah was hoping for. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. And then she ceased, or therefore she called his name Judah, which means praise or the praise of God. Then she ceased. 
bearing. Listen, family, God was not blessing Leah so that she could receive love and affection from Jacob. God opened Leah's womb in order to open her heart toward him. God was blessing Leah in order to show Leah that God loved her and that his love for her would grant her a value that would overcome any earthly disappointment. Leah was disappointed at her appearance. She was disappointed that the birth of her sons did not woo the affection of her son or of her husband. The Lord did not bless Leah with sudden physical attractiveness. He didn't make her face bright. He didn't make her eyes shine. Instead, he gave her much more than that. God gave her himself. Because we all know this, or we ought to come to grips with it sooner rather than later, all physical beauty will wrinkle and sag into a humble frame. All physical beauty. But the beauty of a face full of the praise of God will never fade. This time I will praise the Lord. This time my affections will be fed, not from horizontal means, but from God himself. This time my joy will be in the Lord and my pleasure will be the Lord of glory. The supreme, in other words, the supreme blessing that God gave Leah was delight in himself. God never blesses his people so that that blessing would deaden in that space. In other words, God is not going to bless us so that we would just merely revel in the blessing, in the thing that he's given us, a son, a daughter, a husband, a house, whatever that blessing is. He doesn't give it to us so that we might just, our affections deaden with the blessing. The blessings are always to lift our chin up so that we would say eventually along with Leah, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. I won't be trying to get human affection anymore, self-worth. This time I will praise the Lord. Maybe you look at the bank account. Maybe you're looking in the mirror and you do not like what you see. May God grant us a this time. This time I will praise the Lord. In the end, Leah gave birth to the first four sons of Jacob. And these four sons, along with eight others, would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Leah's the first mom. Oh, I love the wisdom of God. I love the wisdom of God. Dylan, stop looking to the things that are seen. But one of these four sons would have a privilege unlike all of them. 
the last one whose name is praised, Judah. Judah would have a privilege unlike all 12 of them. Because it was through Judah, the last of her four sons, the one who provoked the praise of God would be the tribe through whom Jesus Christ would come. The least impressive of Laban's daughters would carry forth the seed of Abraham, who would become the lion from the tribe of Judah. How's that for the wisdom of God? From Leah to a lion. That's our God. And wouldn't you know, the lion was born a lamb. And Christ's own physical appearance was nothing to look at. No earthly beauty in his frame. No one looked at your savior and mine and said, that's a leader. Look at his shoulders. Look at how handsome he is. Look at how tall he is. That's a leader. They didn't start doing that until he was turning bread and loaves and feeding everybody. Nobody looked at him and said, that's our guy. His frame was nothing to write home about. He was homely and homeless. No brightness in his eyes. He was rejected and unloved by the ones he came to save. Yet it was in his ultimate rejection that we find redemption. This great descendant of Leah would become the lion who does devour our enemies. Praise be to God. He does become the lamb who forgives us of our sins and provokes a praise of God among the redeemed. The great descendant of Leah is our savior. Oh, the wisdom of God. Beloved, may God, as we move through this text and we move through the rest of Genesis, and I don't know, some of you are new, maybe I'll never see you again, but may God train our hearts not to look to the things that are seen, not to try and value or find value and worth in physical appearance, in the affection of others, that is, a, that is a lost cause. I'm not saying that a human affection is a bad thing. That's healthy and good. But if we're looking constantly, if we're hanging our lives upon that, 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 is, a, that, is, a, that is so flimsy, especially physical appearance. You, you know this. We know this. Every frame will become wrinkled into a humble estate. So may God train, train our hearts not to look to the things that are seen, not to trust in things that are passing away or grow discouraged because of fading beauty or think that we need to therefore manipulate certain outcomes. Instead, may we be a people who look to the things that are eternal and unfading. 
May we trust in the wisdom of God to bring about his purposes in our lives. May we be a people like Leah who say, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. This time I'm going to stop looking to my right and looking to my left and I'm going to look up and I'm going to find delight and pleasure in him. And then I'm going to invite others to remind me of that when I'm saddened. May the Lord grant us his praise this morning through the work of his son, the great descendant of Leah, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, beloved, is true beauty.